Hey everybody, welcome to Throne Wrenches Podcast. This is Eric Stahl. And I'm Daryl Scott, and this is the auto podcast that got some reviews this week. Would you think that? It, ha- uh, it happened. It's been a long time. Apparently, if I cry enough, people will do something. I like it. On this episode of Throne Wrenches, we explain the REV in Rev, Illinois. Elon is being tracked, and it's not an Apple AirTag. And another couple of cars might pull a Milton from the office space and set your building on fire. Learn why. Hey everybody, thanks for listening and to join the fun of the show, uh, you just send us an email, info at Throwing Wrenches, and you will be read around the world, and it brings us inner contentment and joy to read these, usually favorable, but I did notice we had a couple more Russian girls who sent us links to pictures, but they always say they're to you, Daryl. Oh, uh, well, I didn't see them this time. Uh, if I did, they were in an incognito window, which you don't know anything about, so uh, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, also, I hope not to ever go to jail. <laughs> If you don't know my friend Daryl Scott, my co-host Daryl Scott, my friend, my mentor, he's not an athlete, but he's an ex-jock and not the kind with the itch you don't scratch in public. No, this curator of the Scott Auto Museum of North Peoria has the pipes and the chops to make the NPR listeners go wild. His finely trained tones carry this amateur co-host, myself, on every episode. That's Daryl Scott. Mm, wow. I don't know if I'm going to be able to top that ever. But uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Uh, welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, for those who don't know my co-host, uh, fresh off an airplane back from his ranch, my co-host is shaping up quite nicely as the next J.R. Ewing. That's right. He went to Dallas but didn't strike it rich in the oil industry. Fancy that. He did, however, get a 10-gallon hat, and he's wearing it now. It looks great. looks great. He's the Larry Hagman to my Patrick Duffy. He's Eric Stahl. <laughs> I so want to play the Dallas theme song. <laughs> By the way, one of the best intros on TV history. Yeah. I remember as a kid, I watched that. And like That was either time I went to bed or like left the room because it was so boring. And now I watch it because, you know, Victoria Principle. Is it Principal. on? Okay. So that was on, and then I think Falcon Crest. We used to watch Falcon Crest. Dynasty. Oh, Dynasty too. Oh, well, it was like stupid TV. Like if you look back at it, it's just like – why would why did everybody was, love watching it was rich soap people? You, we're watching Downton Abbey. My wife and I are almost done with season six. Finally done with that show. Then we'll yeah. move on to Yellowstone. It's the same thing. Same stuff. Yeah, just drama. You know, <laughs> watching rich families argue. Take them to the <laughs> take them to the train station. It's the same. You know, whether it's The Sopranos or Yellowstone, somebody's getting whacked all the time. I guess, and we like watching it. Didn't they redo Dallas too? Oh, I think they tried. They tried, but then like yeah. Larry Hagman passed away. <laughs> I think he did. I don't remember that. I, to Google I know it. he looked pretty rough towards the end there. Hey, folks, before we get too deep into the show, let's talk about our sponsors because they pay the bills. Do you know Fort's Toyota Pekin, Daryl? Mm, it rings a bell. Yeah, Fort's Toyota Pekin is a small family-owned dealership in North Pekin, Illinois. They are a Toyota single-point dealership, and they also have the AutoSmart, their used car center next door. You can find everything on their new and used inventory at Toyota. Sorry, www.toyota-pekin.com. You can also call them at 309-382-4000. They like to say they're 15 minutes from anywhere. And uh, disclaimer, Daryl, I do work at Fort's Toyota Pekin. Awesome. And you have a phone number. Yeah. And I can confirm with the Supra, 
I'll bet I'm 17 to 20 minutes from anywhere in the Tri-County area. So, <laughs> Check them out on the web. They support the local SVCA group. They support cars and coffee. They are a great small, uh, small-town dealership. Uh, check them out. Toyota Pekin. Train driver on a closed course. There you go. Just want to throw that disclaimer out there. Another sponsor we'd like to say a very, very uh, big thank you to, the Casey Law Office. Proud sponsor, longtime sponsor of the Throw and Wrenches podcast right here. Of course, uh, Gabe Casey and the Casey Law Office specialize in consumer law, automotive purchases, repair, uh, all kinds of stuff that you need representation. Maybe something didn't go right. You have a contract, you got a little dispute, or there's some shady business going on. Oh, yeah. Gabe is the guy to call. You can check him out, clomorton.com. Consultation's free to discuss your case, and he will help get you the result you deserve. Give him a call. And you may not know this, Daryl, but he is training a whole new generation of lawyers as a professor at ISU. That's right. Yeah, so you know, not only are his teeth super sharp from going after people, he's now <laughs> sharpening them by teaching young children how to, how to attack people as well. So. Yeah, the lawyers of tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate that. All right. We, oh, and before we get to the reviews, because I'm so excited about the reviews, I just want to hop right ahead. Uh, thank you to the Patreon subscribers. Folks, if it wasn't for the Patreon subscribers, we wouldn't be talking to you on these dandy microphones we got here from Sure, and we got some new equipment coming this year. We also have some new Patreon swag coming for the 2022 year, so if you've been thinking about being a Patreon subscriber, now is the time to do it. I can't wait. Eric was sharing some ideas. He's tote got bag. up his sleeve. Total tote bag. Tote bag? Tote bags. Tote bag. Coffee mug. I feel like this is a PBS pledge drive. I don't know what's going on, but that's fine. That's fine. Everybody needs a tote bag, right? I think so. Especially one with your face on it. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. <laughs> All right. So we actually did get some reviews. We got some positive feedback. Which one do you want? We got two here. Um, I'll take the top one because it's easy. Okay. And I also like the guy's screen name. Um, here it is. <laughs> and this is on uh, iTunes. It's a review from Mr. Hungry Comic. Uh, could be Mr. or Mrs. Who knows? Hungry Comic. And uh, it says, awesome show. Five stars. I'm counting. Five. Wow. Uh, this is one of the top five podcasts I've listened to. Well, Hungry Comic, we appreciate that. It's one of the top five reviews I've listened to. Yeah. So. I mean, that's that's solid work there. So we got that one in. I was I was totally thrilled with that. And then... Hit us up. Hit us up with your uh, info. We'll we'll get uh, yeah. Please stick uh, yeah. your way. Uh, go to info or write an email to info at wrenches dot com, and we'll send you a sticker or uh, message us through the Facebook page. However, you want to get hold of us. We also got one from J Ratcliffe sixty two, and he gave us a five star as well. Daryl on the iTunes. Nice. He calls us very entertaining. I've been searching for a podcast that's car related and not biased in any direction. I mean, I don't want to stop the review and say we're not biased. I feel like we're biased sometimes. Anyway, I mean, it's fine. But he did say he did say I found it. Daryl and Eric keep me on the edge of my seat with new topics and great content. I know, I know they'll hate this, and we do. Yeah, he here. listened to one random show and loved it so much <laughs> that he went back and listened to the very start. Yeah, they sucked in the beginning, but it gets better. I promise. <laughs> Just kidding. Love the show, and I can't wait for the upcoming show soon and to be a Patreon subscriber as well. That's from Jeff. Thank you very much, Jeff. That's a great review, and uh, yes. totally appreciate the support. Yeah, and we do. We, uh, we fair warning. Uh, we've had a couple of people go back and be like, "Hey, we we listened to you from the beginning because we liked your show." It makes my toes curl. Uh, like around episode thirty, you, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant the first week they're open, yeah. and you're like, "This sucks," but I'm gonna give them another chance. Yeah. I'll come back and maybe maybe I'll order something different. And by you know a year later. Yeah. We're not too bad. When I've tried to podcast, I, and I, I do another podcast sometimes on the side, and I try and do it with another person, uh, you and I have worked now so well. I mean, I say so well. 
I think we work pretty well together. It's like we're, a well-oiled we're, machine. Yeah, yeah, but we're like 58 episodes in, and mm-hmm. I think now we kind of know where to stop. We look at each other. You know, right. We don't have to do the thing where we like, wave each other down or anything like that. Hey, stop. I want to talk now. <laughs> Air you know, horn. Yeah, or, or, you know, and other people go, uh, uh, you know, uh, to like let me in, you know, to get them to stop talking. Or it, my favorite, the, oh, that's a great story. Let me talk about my story. That's what I do every episode. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. No, it's a... It's a symbiotic. That's what Rachel Casey says I do. It's the Eric Story Hour. It's a it's a symbiotic relationship. I don't know what that word means. I just read it. I think uh, Reader's Digest. In, when uh, they put the thing in Chekhov's ear in uh, in Star Trek Two, wasn't that like a symbiote? I don't know. I, I think it was. I think it was. I have to go back and watch that. Anyways, um, thanks again. Info throwonwretches If you do leave us a review, we will happily. Send you some swag. A cool throwing wrench, a sticker that you can share with all your friends. Mm-hmm. Or put on your beer fridge. All right. all right, so we do bring this lovely little segment we like to call, here we go. You got it? Race Daily Kill. Ah. And for folks who just join us, <laughs> this is a kind of a takeoff of a popular parlor game that we can't really mention. But um, it basically means we pick three vehicles, and it could be random, which these are this time. Uh, and then Eric and I pick which one we would like to race, which one we would like to daily drive, and then which one we would kill or drive off a cliff. Or and, restore, Daryl. Or restore, which was uh, I can tell you in this selection ago. you have right here, yeah. probably not. The one that's going <laughs> to die in this one is not restorable. Okay. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. So we did last time, and we got some, some good feedback on this. We did a, a Quentin Tarantino Cadillac. We did get some good feedback on that one. It was a, this came out of Eric's warped brain. I think he watched a lot of movies. I did. I was, I was going. I was teaching my son uh, movie movie history, and he had not seen enough Tarantino in his life. And so we all know uh, how that played out. But a wonderful selection of three old Cadillacs. And so this one is complete polar opposite. This is what I like to call the city commuter edition. This is Daryl's warp brain. Yes, it is. So as as gas prices increase, everybody's worried about inflation. People are talking about miles per gallon, which is funny. We used to hear all that stuff back in like the 70s and 80s and 90s. It seems like it's the old chestnut, like I need something that gets better mileage. Well, here in the early 1990s, specifically 1990, we had a lot of options to choose from. We picked three random samplings of small commuter cars. Yes, I picked them. (laughs) And uh, the first one up here is a 1990 Geo Metro featuring the lovely one-liter three-cylinder motor making – from Suzuki. From Suzuki. Basically a Suzuki Swift making uh, just under 50 horsepower, just under 60 pound-feet That's of like torque. That's like beetle level. It's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Top speed of 90. Allegedly. <laughs> and uh, the miles per gallon, it's the rating on this one's 43 city, 52 highway. Not bad. All right. Number two, 1990 Ford Festiva. You remember those little hatchbacks? I do. I do. And I... I mean, I think the Festiva name has actually held up better than these other names over the last 30 years. So <laughs> I think it does. The Festiva isn't nearly what it used to be, but they didn't abandon it like these other guys did. No, if you want to read the specs on that one, that one's a little bit uh, more yeah. luxurious. It's a little beefier. It's got this 1.3-liter four-cylinder engine popping out a serious 63 horsepower. Mm. They say the top speed is 89 miles an hour. And I have to wonder if these cars come with a four-speed or a five-speed transmission. I think this one was a five-speed. Yeah. Now, this car was only cranking out 37 miles per gallon on the highway. Yeah, and so what the EPA did years ago is they adjusted all those mileage figures that were inflated from yeah. our youth, where they said, like, a Chevette got, like, 50 miles per gallon. It was, like, not 
yeah. real world. So these are all adjusted for today. Okay. Oh, I remember, is that – okay. All yeah. Right. I remember – because I think the Metro at one point, they said it got 59 or 60 on the highway, miles oh. per gallon, which was crazy. Hmm. Well, it's 52. still pretty impressive. So, so the Ford, uh, was that – it was actually Ford or was that, was that motor from somewhere else? Mazda. Mazda, okay. Uh, it was a Mazda motor and I think there were some Kia parts in there too. Okay. All right. And your last car, I know it has Mitsubishi blood coursing through it. It does. So this is a uh, – and I, I thought you might have a relationship with I one do of have these. one. I've, okay. Uh, yes. So we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> So this is a 1990 Dodge Colt hatchback. So as part of their captive imports there, this wasn't really a Dodge. It was a Dodge badge on a Mitsubishi Mirage. I can't even say this. Mitsubishi Mirage. That's a tongue twister. The Mirage. The Mirages were uh, underrated cars, I think, a little bit. They were they were cheap and they were pretty reliable. Yep. They're really good cars. 1.5 liter four-cylinder in this. It's known as the 4G15, which is one of Japan's longest-running motors. I think they there still run See? it. Yeah. You know, real tiny. Single overhead cam base. You've got a dual overhead cam if you want a little extra power. But I kept this as a base model. So 94 horsepower, 92 pound-feet of torque, and weighing in at uh, just over 2,200 pounds. This thing could do also a top speed of 90 miles an hour. Miles per gallon, not so great compared to the other two. Yeah, right. Third. I mean, twice the horsepower. Right, right. 29 city, 33 highway for this Mitsubishi-based four-cylinder. Oh. So, Geo Metro, Ford Festiva, Dodge Colt, those are your choices. Eric, which one would you race, which one would you daily, and which one would you kill? Okay, so I did have a relationship with an 86 Dodge Colt, which is also a Mitsubishi hatchback. Okay. Uh, and it had a four-speed manual, uh, front-wheel front-wheel drive, little boxy car. It was uh, actually, if you watch Cannonball Run, Jackie Chan's driving a little black car that looks exactly like my my little oh, Dodge yeah. Colt. The and, uh, his, his, his was a Subaru, but that same shape, really sharp. It almost looked like you know high-tech mm-hmm. for the 80s. But uh, So when Dodge came out with this Colt version, and it was more sculpted, I mean, it was almost like the Kelty design team from Toyota came through and like rounded every edge on it. It was a nice-looking car the for the car time. The car looked great, but it wasn't a, t- a big seller, and you didn't see a whole lot of these on the road. Um, and you're right, that engine, and as a matter of fact, it says here, long-running motor, great, great little car. But they probably only sold like 30,000 of these cars. I mean, <laughs> there wasn't many. So I am partial to the Dodge Colt. The Festiva, I never had a love or hate with the Festiva, but like I said, the nameplate holds up, and there's something Yugo-ish ugly at about this thing, I'll give you that, that I could see. You know, this would be fun to drive around like an aquarium, just to kind of like show off its dated age. Right. But the Geo Metro, even in in the game of race daily kill or race daily restore, the Metro to me is off to the side by itself as the ugly little <laughs> toad, redheaded stepchild. Yes, yes. This, yeah. There's no redeeming value in that Metro. I'm sorry, the Suzuki engine wasn't that great. Uh, these cars really, typical GM, had terrible interiors. They were just disgusting little crap boxes. So I'm telling you, I'm going to daily the Festiva because I think I can look hip just like you look hip and Bork driving around. And then I'm going to race the Dodge Colt because I think that 93 horsepower and that cool little hatch is going to look pretty tough, especially in that yellow you got there, Daryl. It's a, a good color. Thanks. Yeah, I actually, I, I spent way too long doing a Google image search for Dodge Colts to find an appealing photo. I think I nailed it. And I am murdering, killing, and not restoring the 1990 Geo Metro. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I don't care what transmission, what gearbox is in that thing. It's still a three-cylinder. It's still garbage. Would never have it. Okay. All right. That's... I, I predicted you would have something similar. Oh, okay, a similar lineup. So. I was shocked because I accidentally scrolled down. I saw your selections, and I just, I just about 
jumped over the table before I gave my picks. <laughs> so let me just say this. Your picks did not influence mine at all. None. None whatsoever. And my picks are a little weirder. Uh, I would race the Festiva, and that's because there's a guy that has one in my neighborhood, and it is the cleanest. It's like an LX or whatever, like the nice trim. It's a two-tone. Yeah. It's maroon and uh, gray. <laughs> the nice trim. It's a cool-looking little rig. It's got little alloys on it. I'm like, I would rock this thing. Um, I don't know. I think it was a Kia, but I know the Mazda motors swap in them. And I had a friend of mine who built one years ago. It was a yellow one. And he put a Mazda 323 turbo motor in it. Mm-hmm. And he still has track records up at Gingerman, I think. Oh, cool. The thing is so fast. He blew it up like four times. Anyways, <laughs> I'd race the Festiva because it's fun. I daily the Metro because pound for pound, even though it's probably a crap box, it's still got the best mileage. 52 on the highway, 40-something in the city. You'd be filling up every three weeks. What is it about you big guys and small cars? I just like being able to... You couldn't pour yourself into that thing. No, I probably... <laughs> it's like a clown car. I think every, every big guy Sarah wants a Sarah would never car. be seen with you in it either. No. She'd be like, I will not, I will not go to emos with you in that car. <laughs> Absolutely not. Come on, let's go get a hot dog. Let's go yeah. get a Coney. See, but those things are funny, but like a Mini, which isn't that much bigger, it's like, oh, it's trendy, it's cool, it's hip. I think those are just as hip. If somebody rolls there's up, no, no, there's no way you compare a Mini Cooper <laughs> seriously. To a Geo Met. No way at all. Not no, even for like no, a kitschy, funny no, factor. No, okay. no. Maybe 20 years from now, we'll look at it the way we look at Bork as a utilitarian kind of practical car. Maybe, but I just don't see it happening. I mean, they are 32, 30, yeah. So maybe a few more years. I don't know. There's <laughs> something about them. The only people I knew that had these were pizza delivery guys. And, like, the guys who had motorcycle, like, the $30,000 motorcycle guys, and they needed some crap box to drive in the wintertime. See, they they sold a lot. When I was a kid in Florida in about that year, 1990, mm-hmm. there was a lot of them all over the place because they'd sell them without air conditioning, and they'd sell them with manual transmissions. So these cars were literally in the lot for forty nine ninety five or fifty nine ninety five Under 10. Yeah, oh, yeah, so you'd see a lot of them out on the road. Yeah, dirt um, cheap. Yeah. With the windows down and just cigarette smoke blowing out of the side of them. My grandparents came to visit us one time, and they used to get, like, Lincolns and Cadillacs. And what, whatever happened at Alamo Rent-A-Car, one time they came in a Metro four-door. <laughs> and my grandfather was but, so mortified. Was that a Corolla? No, it was – they had a four-door. Was a Prism. Okay. Yeah, they, um, the Prism was the Corolla. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but the, they had a Metro four-door, and uh, he was – I remember we took that to get – So that dinner. was his rental car. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, he was like – I. he wrote a letter. It was the worst. And I remember sitting <laughs> wrote in the, a letter. He sit in the back seat, and you hit like a pothole, and my brother and I are like bouncing around like idiots. <laughs> and I would kill the Dodge Colt. I would kill the Colt, recognizing. Oh, oh I know, I'm the sorry. pain! The pain. Cool car, but I don't know. It just doesn't send me, brother. Doesn't send me. Yeah. But that's, that's so. That's where we're at. Send me <laughs> a little vibrato. <laughs> nice. All right. with ra- Eric. Yeah. Race daily, kill, folks. All right. So this is where we move on to the next section of the show. Where we talk about our projects. I haven't really done anything. It's been terribly cold, and then we got dumped on with tons of snow. So like we alluded to, it was in the pre-show we talked about, or we uh, talked about clearing the driveway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if, recent... if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you missed out. We talked about uh, Sarah doing a fine job clearing the walkway at the Scott household. Did they call this like a polar vortex or they tropical had a name, storm like Landon Reggie? or Reggie? No, it was Landon. Was it Landon? It was like – I think it was Landon because my parts manager's kid's name is Landon. I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah I have a couple of friends and yeah. they've got sons named Landon. I'm like, like you named the, trop- the tropical storm, winter <laughs> storm. 
I'm in the wrong hemisphere. Winter Storm after yeah. like the coolest little You're kid. You're no Chuck Collins, that's for sure. You're no Chuck Collins. I know Kennedy. Chuck Collins. You're no Chuck Collins. <laughs> Chief meteorologist on WMBD. They did a little. Do, they did a little. Anyway, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. The, the project section is where Daryl and I talk about all the great things we've been doing in our garage. And like I said, the weather has kind of stunk. Uh, I didn't do anything. As a matter of fact, Aiden's car is in the shop right now, struggling with a number one misfire. And we've been so busy with customer work, I haven't even messed with it. Uh, but I did take time to sneak away to go to the cheese freeze. And I've talked about the cheese freeze before. Cheese yes, freeze have. is like one of my favorite. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. In 2019, Angela and I went up to cheese freeze, and it's a time speed rally uh, sponsored by Cheese Wheel Inc. And now they call themselves Flat Four Fest. It's just an enthusiast club that does little automotive events for charity. A Subaru club, right? Yeah, now it's a Subaru club. But well-run machine and, and great volunteers. And they, uh, I mean, they rent rooms and have dinner and – the routes are great, and, and everything's timed very well. Done well. Enjoy it. And there's a lot of cars out there. So in 2019 when I went, uh, I had no idea what I was getting in for. But I knew it was in the Driftless region of Wisconsin, which I had never even done a time-speed rally in, in the dry season up there. So I just hopped into this thing in the middle of winter and had no idea what I was in for. I took Tree Hugger 1.0, which was the 2010 Forerunner Trail. And this is in the Madison area, right? Yeah, west of Madison. You start – Kind of out, by the no, Dells. the Dells. Yeah, up oh. by the Dells, and you just basically head west, and it's a hundred miles of driving. And uh, and when we first did the cheese freeze, said it's spirited. Imagine every intersection, every stop is spirited. Okay. Well, my wife was not prepared for spirited, and I'm going to tell you this: Tree Hugger One was a champ in that. I mean, we we did great. I pulled out three people. Every alarm and beep was going off on that truck as we were sliding sideways across country roads, looking down ravines that are you know, 100 feet deep because that's just the way the driftless region is in Wisconsin. Total fun. So in 2021, they didn't have the, the cheese freeze, but then it popped up again for 2022. My friend Jacob Kotcher, uh, uh, I'm not sure he listens to the show or not, but he texted me. like a, I saw it, and like five minutes later, he sent to me. He's like, hey, did you see what they're doing? I'm like, yes, I'm all over this. So in my mind, Daryl, I say, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get Tree Hugger 1.0. I might even get, I, I know the generals that are on it have stud holes. I could do like metal. Do some studded snow tires? Do, yeah, studded snow I tires. Like the way you think. Yeah. Because yeah. I knew what it was like. It was, I mean, there was a guy, there were guys, Subaru WRXs with like 28 lights on their hood, like on my back bumper going <laughs> fishtailing around me, you know, because guys were aggressively driving. It was nuts. And after four o'clock in the afternoon, this thing, cranked on for another two hours. It was dark. You're on these country roads, snowpack, can't see anything. And my lights in the 2010 were, meh. So-so. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I got it all figured out. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Triogre 1.0. There's a low investment level there. You know, even if I run it into a ditch or, you know, I do something. I mean, what's the worst I have to do? I just straighten out the bumper and just push it back on and we drive. My wife, well, she had a, a different logic. She said, now, wait a second. If you take Tree Hugger 1.0, and I'm driving 3.0 right now, which is a 2017 Pro, she goes, you'll be more inclined to drive recklessly. We need to drive th- Tree Hugger 3.0. I'm like, but that takes the fun out of it. Yeah, and then I have to be more careful. Yeah. Well, there's probably some uh, passenger appointments that might be a little bit nicer in 3.0. Heated seats. That's the only thing I can tell you. Uh, okay. It, yeah, and she now does like talking. the heated seats or something, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, as as – Things always turn out, Daryl. The wife won on the situation. I had both cars at my disposal, thank God for forts. Um, 
I don't, and I don't know that if I would have advertised my 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 logic that Mr. Fort would have agreed with what I was thinking so much. I don't know that he would have agreed with Angela's logic so much. He might have just said, you know what? Why don't you take your own car? Why don't you, <laughs> why don't you, why don't you take your Prius? Exactly. Um, so we end up taking Triugger 3.0, the 2017 trail. And what I did before the event is um, I made sure the skid plate was all secure because that had been off. And then I put new lighting on the roof. I got some rough country uh, little bar lights, some some four outlet LED lights on the roof rack, uh, a set on each side. And then I got some traction bars, traction plates, buck, whatever you call those things, traction where boards. Do, where track, do they go? On the roof. Okay, okay. Because uh, what I've learned now from watching some stuff is, you know what? Instead of getting a rope out, instead of pulling, if you can just throw a traction board down, it's a lot faster. Do they fold up or no? That it? I just you know on a truck like mine, you can just lay them out on the roof rack. They do take up a lot of space; they're about three feet long and they're okay. studded. Um, I got them through our parts department, and uh, they're like an orange color. They look pretty sexy up like there when they're high, fastened down. High vis, yes, absolutely. So in case I was like stranded in a drift, you could see almost like a you know like a beacon. Like that. Like that, yeah. Anyway. So are they official Toyota part? No, they're not. Okay, no, we we do aftermarket parts. Um, as it turned out, the weather wasn't nearly as bad, and I don't think they drove it as spirited. I, they mm. might because I remember, like I said, I pulled out several people. I remember I yanked one guy off a farmer's fence who who just left the event and didn't probably report his damage. <laughs> just pieced out. So I don't know if there was a conscious effort by the folks who who run the Flat Four Fest to uh, dial it down a little bit, but. The weekend before, they said that the route was 70% covered with snow, so I didn't know what to expect. And had I known it was going to be – I mean, it was probably 25 30% snow and ice pack. Yeah. The rest of it was pretty dry pavement. I probably could have taken any one of our cars. It would have been I fine. probably could have taken the uh, Supra, but that would be dangerous. Just too low slung. You don't want to hit snow or something like that. Yeah, tear off your air dam or yeah, something. exactly. But uh, it was a great time. Ange and I have done like five time speed rallies now. And we were so close to placing this time and getting a trophy. And I was so hung up on it. And she's like, why do you care? And I'm like, because I want to have it on the mantle. And she goes, I don't want it on the mantle. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't go there. You could put that somewhere else. You go in our basement. Go, I'd get to start getting a, you know, a, prize, a prize vault somewhere. <laughs> so how did you – I mean, out of how many cars, how many cars showed up? They said 33. I don't, I don't know that all 33 are participating, but uh, we ended up getting fifth place overall. That's I think respectable. It was respectable. Yeah. I think the problem we had was the group we were in is the biggest group. Uh, there were a lot of groups who were there. There were only like two and three cars, and the do, group we were in was like 10 or 15 cars. How do they break it by classes? They break it by uh, – the classes are uh, – novices, experienced, and then they go by what technology you have in the car. So we ran with no technology. Very few people actually run with uh, equipment that you, like, mark your time, and then you have to carry average speed. It tells you what your average speed's been the whole time you've been driving with GPS technology. So there's some group uh, that does that. So They got, like, a little transponder. We scored better than all those people, but in our group, we were we were fourth in our group. We, one more, just, like, 20 points, 20 seconds in that whole 100 miles. Uh, we would have been in there. That's okay. <laughs> Again, that's I don't know right. why I'm so hung up on it. It was fun. Well, it gives you something to shoot for next year. It does. And uh, I just you pray for bad weather for that event. You really do. Well, it's, it's, the scenery up there is great no matter what time of year. It is. And I, I've never been up there in the thick of winter. The way you're describing it, I can just imagine, you know, there's a, there's a definite element. We don't have <laughs> Rocky Mountains here, but that's kind of as dangerous as you could probably get. Oh, Northern yeah. Wisconsin. Yes, or uh, even southern Wisconsin, anything in that that uh, what they call the moraine, the uh, kettle moraine area, with just lots of twisty roads and hills. It's 
absolutely not beautiful. Not a straight line anywhere. It's also fun. I'm, do they do any other events in the summer or nice So the winter? Milwaukee region SCCA does a lot of rallies out there. So I okay. did Badger Borough last year, and I'm trying to remember the other one. We've done like four now up up in the Madison area. Very pretty. And they all kind of run the same area. I mean, I'm starting to see the same landmarks over and over. But you still don't know because they give you such vague directions. It's not like you go like, oh, I know this route. Can't right. do that. The, and the timing is different. Everything is different. You, you, so everything you remember from the last cheese freeze, you couldn't bring any of that along with you, other than the fact you wanted to have your vehicle prepared. Um, sure. Yeah. The nice thing was this year they actually had people who were running the end of the race. They called them sweepers. And if anybody needed recovered, they would be there. Nice. So at one point, we were at a checkpoint, and there's a guy with a BMW, like a 5 Series, probably 15-year-old 5 Series. It was white. It was a cool car, but it did not need to be there. It was in the ditch. And it was all mm-hmm. the way down to the middle of the front, the middle of the, the, uh, the emblem, the BMW emblem. Half of it was in snow, and the other half was exposed. <laughs> and he's like, I got, I got my tow hook on there. Can you pull me out? Can you pull me out? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. He had a strap and everything. So... I'm like, and my wife's yelling, you got, I got two minutes to be at the next checkpoint. I'm like, this will take 30 seconds. We got this. It's fine. So I hook up to my hitch, which I keep a hitch out just for situations like this, wrap it around there a couple times, and then I, I start gently pulling. But all I'm doing is dragging this guy through the ditch. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a five series, and I don't think that I'm doing this vehicle any favors, but the, the tow hook is on the passenger side. He's on, he's on the, the right side ditch. He's deep in there. So I start to turn a little bit. I start to give it like a 30-degree angle towards the other side of the road to see if I can like get him out of the ditch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be damned if that tow hitch, that, that mount in his front bumper, just didn't go ting and just like flew out of there. just broke. It snapped. Is it threaded in? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Why do I, they do that? Why I, do they? I don't understand. Well, not my problem because a lot of manufacturers don't want to commit to having a hook underneath the front or anything like that without having to take the front bumper off. So I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I got to go. And uh, another guy goes, oh, we can wrap it around the control arm. That sounds <laughs> the, dr- the driver's front control arm. I really don't want to do that. I told the guy, I said, if you want to, I will help you, but I'm, I'm not wrapping not that. And this other it. guy just instantly jumps under there, starts wrapping it, and says, go ahead, pull us out. And so the control arm was a better point. I was still at that 30-degree angle. Very lightly pulled him out of there and got him out. And he was fine. But who knows? Is the steering wheel off center? I don't know. Not my problem. But uh, not. I mean, what are your options at that point, though, if somebody's uh, he, that deep? He could, he could wait for the sweeper to come by and yank him out from behind or something like that. I mean, that was the next thing. I was like, if you get behind the car, you could drag it out probably easier. Yeah. But, was he wanting to get back in the race? Oh, though? yeah. Yeah, he was still yeah. trying to get into the so race. He's jonesing. Yeah. You know. It was fun. He had four people in his car, and they were having a great time. The, the best thing is when you got a bunch of people all working on different tasks. I imagine when you're doing a cannibal run, it's the same thing. You know, you got a navigator, you got somebody spotting, you got all sure. these different. Maybe it's insanity, chaos in the car, but it seems to me like it's a bonding experience, like nothing else. Yeah, and as long as nothing's totally, you know, ripped out, you don't <laughs> rip the guy's <laughs> suspension out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fun. And they all have stories. So yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, yeah. hey, hey, we got we got into it so deep, we had to get towed out yeah. by two guys. Yeah. I wanted to say, hey, get a reverse drill bit. You'll get that out the next day. But I, I was out of there. So yeah, I made my out. checkpoint. I don't know if he made his checkpoint. But anyway, so it's a that, fun story. That was all the adventure I had. Uh, it's quite know. an adventure. And I'm, I'm glad you guys went. It sounds like it's uh, Mrs. Stahl appreciates going to those things, yeah. too. No, I think so. A friend of mine, uh, Brian, who lists the show, he, he said that uh, his, his significant other, let's put it that way, said, see, why don't we do stuff like the stalls do? And I'm like, do never measure your relationship by anything my wife and I do, okay? Relationship goals? 
Hey, you guys, me. what you don't see is how much we want to murder each other. Yeah, but that's every relationship, you know. At least you guys get out and do stuff, and that's fun. That's totally fun. Anyway, well, you've been right. out gallivanting all over the what, Midwest. What have you been up to, man? Nothing. Nothing. What? I haven't, I, not in the garage. I I haven't touched it. Uh, anything out there. I did order some closeout crap on um, Rock Auto for the 47 Chevy. They had head gaskets for like 9 bucks and a bunch of valve train parts real cheap. So I stocked up. And I usually do that if there's closeout pieces. Um, and I'm actually hatching a plan to bring another old car home. Oh, God. And I think I might have texted you and Gabe about yeah, this. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. So I'm I'm still working on, on that angle. I should know more after February 22nd. Uh, but I, I have the potential to get a hold of something that's a little bit more – together, if as it were, than the 58 Plymouth. Oh, my God. And I, I made a deal with my the wife. The devil? Well, <laughs> sometimes. But uh, no, my wife, and she's like, well, we don't need another car. Why are you even looking at this? Showed her pictures, showed her you know what it could be. She's so easy. She is. And she's like, okay, but you have to sell the 58 if you get this thing. I don't want to drop too many hints of what it is. I, I'm, I'm hoping if I don't put it out there in the ether, it'll just go the way it needs to. And you'll you'll find out about it here eventually. But it's another old 50s car. And I said, oh, okay, I can deal with that. Because this one, even though it's been sitting a long time, my track record with getting stuff running that's been sitting for a long time is way better than building stuff from scratch. <laughs> sure. And so I think I could sell the 58 Plymouth, get a little cash, put it into this thing, and get it back on the road, maybe. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm hatching right now. We'll see what happens. It's disgusting, though. It's absolutely disgusting. It's one of the dirtiest, nastiest cars I've ever seen. <laughs> but it might clean up nice. Oh, we'll see. Um, and then just as, for, for giggles, are you in that Malaise Motors group? Yeah, I, but I don't think I'm in the algorithm anymore because I don't see any posts from them really. I don't see them. Okay. So it's a nice group that's all about cars being from 1972 until 1995. They call them the Malaise years. Uh, a lot of automotive journalists used to just because – Low compression, smog equipment, sure. not the greatest design. But it's cars like you and I grew up with, like the Volare, which, by the way, there's a Volare for sale on Facebook Marketplace. Volare. Oh. Hey, it's just like tugging at Eric's heartstrings. <laughs> but anyways, well, Dino. <clears throat> this thing came up, and it was a bunch of shots of a, uh, uh, a Facebook Marketplace ad for a 1990 Chevy Corsica Ooh. hatchback. Did you know they made a hatchback? Yeah, version? but no. I mean, it almost reminds me of that uh, that Malibu Max. Very similar. Yeah. So it's kind of like the Malibu Max predecessor <laughs> was that. Yeah. And then before that, it was like people who bought the Citation and thought that was a good car. So this is this is that target demographic. Dude, Chevy had some dingers back in the day. And I remember seeing these in the day, and I was like, these things are cool, and they're but they're ugly, but they're kind of cool. Anyways, everybody was geeking out because they're they're pretty rare. And a guy in Malay's Motors Geeking goes... out. They were. Everybody? Three guys? No. Well, there's like 11 comments and <laughs> a couple likes. Anyways. Man, people were going nuts. They were. I cut off how many likes there were. But anyways, <laughs> it says Hen's Teeth. And the guy puts a link up there. And I see the 90 Chevy Corsica. And it says Peoria, Illinois. Oh. 3000 bucks. I'm like, ooh, it's local. I almost went and looked at it. Because this thing is real low mileage. It's like somebody's grandma's car. And I think they're selling it. Maybe Grandma died. But it's a 3.1 V6. So it's got the nice nice V6 in it, but it's a base motor – or a base model car. Uh, it's got, so a 3.1, that's like the 3100 Buick motor? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's the old uh, – so, so that's a good motor. It's a really good motor. Yeah. And they actually – in this small a car, 
they, they that haul. sounds like a lot of horsepower for that thing. They do. A they, lot of torque. They, it's a fun to drive car. So I'm like three grand. I went and looked at it. It's that weird. You, you did look at it. Well, I'm, I looked at the listing, and I was like this close to messaging the guy because I'm like I could rock this. Is it still a for sale? Yeah, it is. Because it's a because <laughs> it's a Corsica <laughs> hatchback. Nobody wants it. But and it's I'm, got the 31. I mean, you literally could drive a GM car until you could put your finger through the door, mm-hmm. and that engine would it, it was bulletproof. Yeah. And that's what – this thing has 78,000 miles on it. It's no rust. It's really clean. I'm like, this would be a car you could drive for 10 years for cheap and it would be kind of a fun little novelty. And then like at 11 o'clock at night, I'm like, why am I even <laughs> considering this? So I stopped myself. You've gone down the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. So in, in true GM apologist form, <laughs> I had to talk myself down off that ledge. But I almost did. You had. show it to Sarah? No. Okay. Then you didn't. Then you didn't go deep. No, not super deep. But you imagine if I bought that stupid thing, I would probably be working on something every weekend. It'd be a power steering rack, or it'd I, be. I guess the problem becomes then you know when it comes time to go to cars and coffee or something like that, and you got the the classics. Uh, then you have this car, which you're tempted to drive. Just because it's funny. Yeah. I mean, this would be a, a great car for Steve Brown to drive across the country. Oh, my gosh. Because the 3100 would make it. Yeah. He, yeah. Really, what could go wrong with this car? Honestly, nothing. And you have the aerodynamic hatchback. Yeah. It's almost like a Monte Carlo SS so Aero. You could coupe. shove more fuel back there. You could just put, put a bigger <laughs> fuel cell in the hatch. <laughs> um, maybe that's a terrible idea. But, yeah. anyways, no, I didn't need another project, but I might have another project. Anyways, that's well, you, what I got. the project you need to do, and I don't know if you and the wife discussed this. Mm. I mean, you're spending a lot of money and time right now having the basement renovated. That's true. Uh, maybe what you should have done is you should have gone back to the garage and just and and doubled the the height capacity and done giant doors and put two lifts in. Yeah, and then you could double the storage capacity and then you know put a heater out there. I maybe, maybe a loft office, you know, so you could you know do yeah. your rock auto transactions up there into privacy, and maybe fantasize about cars like this when nobody's looking. You know what? I think that's phase two of Shea Scott. I think that. <laughs> and then a skywalk. Happen. You could have Mary from Goods to help you design a skywalk from the house to the upper level of the garage. Just go right out the master bedroom, right into the garage. <laughs> so, so the carbon monoxide fumes just run right into the house. <laughs> That'd be great. The glass skywalk, the squirrels would be looking at you. Sarah would be, you know, videoing the squirrels. They're videoing her back down. <laughs> It'd be a, a little out of the budget, but yeah. I like I like the way you think, my yeah. friend. I think, I mean, we could really get a Disney World aspect going to this thing. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sketch a few things out. <laughs> we'll come up with something. So we haven't had this, this next segment here in a while, which oh. is your favorite. Twism! This week in social media, trademarked by Throne Wrenches Podcast. That's right. Normally we pick up some sort of meme or some sort of post that's been making some traction on social media. Not a whole lot. Have you seen anything worth a damn? No. As a matter of fact, I thought I might have, but you know, the Central Illinois Automotive page seems to be a little lackluster on content lately. It's a little quiet. A little quiet. A lot of recommendations. Yeah. You know, which is good. I like those too. Yeah. I shared some stuff on there for the SCCA today and got a lot of likes. So it's kind of awesome when you can share like something about like a race schedule and next thing you know, it's got 1,200 you know, views or something in the span of 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah. all right, that's that's doing its job. Yeah, and that's the target audience. I yeah. mean, you know, people, first-timers, you know, kind of fun so, to get out there. So this is timely. Uh, yeah. NFTs. Expl- yeah. Explain the meme, Daryl, and we'll share it on our blog post. If you go to thronewrenches.com, you can, you can view it. So NFTs, I'm going to get this wrong. Is it non-fungible? No. I don't know. What the heck? I don't, it's Hold something on. people create something gonna, out of thin air, and then they get other people to fund it. Yeah. So you'd have an, 
a non fungible <laughs> token. Gabe's laughing right now because like these guys don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, whatever. and we don't. Yeah, no, we don't. Um, anyways, non fungible token is a non interchangeable unit of data that's stored in a blockchain. Yeah, form of digital ledger <laughs> that can be sold and traded. What's that mean? Don't know. I didn't major in computer science, but I can tell you a lot of these things you've probably seen on like sixty minutes or <laughs> how old am I? You've probably seen this on twenty twenty. No. You know what bugs me? These non-fungible tokens. Andy Rooney would be loving NFTs. I would love to hear a lot of his thoughts about where we're at today. <laughs> but say you're an artist. you got a digital photograph or some work of art. And you can actually sell that as an NFT to anybody out there. Like you can take it to Sotheby's and they'll sell it and buy it, whatever. Uh, you don't actually own that piece of art. You own the right to, what, display it, host use it, it yeah. use it. You can have it on a digital video wall in your house and be like, ooh, look at my stuff. I paid $2 million for this thing I don't own. That's an NFT. It's totally weird. Nobody gets it just like Bitcoin and Dogecoin <laughs> and all the other crypto weird stuff that everybody's into. Talk about, this is a shaggy dog story from hell going on right now. <laughs> it <I> is. <laughs> the payoff isn't worth it. And so somebody on a couple car groups I'm in started sharing this thing. It says, yeah, I'm into NFTs, and it's a giant picture of <laughs> junkyard. junkyard with like 300 junkie cars. And it's NFT standing for non-functioning transportation. And I thought it was funny, but now it's not funny because wah, it took 20 wah, minutes wah, to wah. explain. Yeah. This is one of those that doesn't translate well in, in a podcast. <laughs> Never let me post anything here again. All right. Let's move along. Let's scoot. Let's scoot. Let's not think about it too long. It's time for the news. All right, Daryl. You ready for this? I guess. All right. Hyundai and Kia tell owners of nearly 500,000 vehicles to park outside due to a fire risk. This is uh, from CNN Business. Hyundai and Kia are telling its owners of almost 500,000 cars and SUVs in North America to park outside and away from buildings due to a possible defect that can cause the vehicles to spontaneously catch fire when not running. The problem is that due to foreign contaminants in the anti-lock brake computer control module that can short the vehicle out and then cause a fire in that component, Hyundai issued a recall for the 2016 to 2018 model Santa Fe's, 17 to 18 Santa Fe Sports, 19 Santa Fe XLs, and some Tucson models. Kia is also recalling some, I don't even know what a K900 sedan is. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, that? No, I don't know what that is. And a 2014, 2014 to 16 Sportage, and uh, in total, it's 500,000 cars between the two. Now, just a few. This and, and this is always one of those black eyes because nobody likes to hear, oh, I got a letter from the people who make my car and they told me not to park it in my house. Because this happened to Ford. Didn't it happen to Ford or GM with the keys? The, uh, it might have been Ford with the – yeah, the ignition switch. And then uh, it happened to Chevy uh, Bolt, uh, Bolt and Volt owners as well with yes, the chargers. Yes, Yeah, so it was uh, the keys. If you let like too heavy of a keychain dangle in the Fords – they can do the same thing. So every manufacturer has to be really careful. You can't sit there, you know, you know, from a high horse and go, "Oh, look at those guys." Because right. next week, I don't care who you are, you could have this exact same recall going on, and especially with electric cars. Yeah, uh, single source suppliers. If everybody's buying the same ignition switch, it's bound to happen to somebody. Or what was the big news out of Rivian this week? I don't know. Vehicle fire in the in the building in the plant. Yeah, in the plant. Oh. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Yeah, so I mean, the, nobody again wants to cast stones because that's the last thing you want. Next thing you know, <laughs> karma kicks you in the butt. Well, it's all liability. I mean, they're saying it to protect themselves, but also to protect the consumers, but also so they don't go into court and get sued. Nobody wants that. 
So no, I mean Gabe Casey does. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, if your car bursts into fire and you need to hire a lawyer, CLO Morton. There you go. <laughs> dot com. Check that. And out. I know where you get a replacement car that's not a Hyundai. Ford's Toyota. There you go. Um, speaking of things not Toyota related, Japan's Nissan swinging back from profit, uh, swinging back to profit despite the chip crunch. Uh, this is from ABC News. They report that uh, Japanese automaker Nissan has swung back into the black for the quarter that uh, finished through December. That's despite shortages of computer chips that have hit the entire automotive industry and many other manufacturers. Nissan, of course, uh, allied with uh, Renault of France. They reported this week a 32.7 billion yen or $284 million profit for the fiscal third quarter. That's a reversal from 37.8 billion yen loss that was racked up in 2021. Uh, what's causing that? Nissan's rebounding. Well, it's strong U.S. demand, and uh, Nissan's results with hefty sales of the Note compact car in Japan, and here in the U.S., the Pathfinder Sport Utility, which I think was just redesigned. It's a new model. Yeah, it's a unibody, but I don't even know if I'd know it looking at it. But it's funny because I shared a, a, a graphic with you today that showed Nissan's overall sales were down versus last year. So even if they're making more money, they aren't selling as many cars. Yeah, and I think the Pathfinder is kind of what they're hoping is going to be their their ticket. Uh, it's a nice-looking vehicle. kind of looks Range Rover, Rivian-like, you yeah. know, that kind of squared off and uh, wraparound taillights in the back. Neat looking. Um, I have not been into a Pathfinder in 25 years. Dude, I love the first-gen Pathfinders, like in the mid to early 90s. Yeah. They were durable-looking little trucks. They had the uh, swing-out spare tire, mm-hmm. which to me, you have if you have a swing-out spare on the back of your vehicle it's tough. On, on a separate carrier, you own me. It's a rig. It's yeah. a tough rig. Uh, yeah. Were they always a full frame? They were back then. Like the Rav- But they uh, rusted Rav- like crazy, as I recall. Those, it was like the hard-body Nissan trucks. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't keep rust off of those things. They, were pretty, they were pretty bad. That's unfortunate because they, the Xterra, I think here in in US, they still kind of, the Xterra became like the forerunner, right? That was the. If I think you wanted, be, there's going to be a big cult following for those. I think in the yeah. next couple of years because they did rust pretty bad, but I think is like the FJ Cruiser. I think there's going to be a cult of uh, people clamoring yes, for them. Yes, I believe so because they have a lot of plastic cladding. Anytime you start wrapping wheel wells. Inside mm. body with plastic, yeah. you do preserve the body as, as ugly as it can be. Sometimes you're keeping those rock chips off the paint surface. So, yeah. I mean, realistically, if you keep the underbody clean on that car, those might stick around a little bit. But the new Pathfinder is definitely something more appealing towards uh, the you know suburban you know mall oh, cruisers, yeah, yeah, as yeah, you yeah. say. It's, no, it's a whole different mall crawlers. It's, yeah, it's not necessarily something you're gonna no. you're gonna take to the sand dunes. All right, Daryl, you ready for the technology section of the news here? Of course, I am. A road in Detroit will charge an electric car while driving. That's the headline here from Money Watch by Christopher Brooks here. It came out a couple days ago. An Israeli startup has plans to build about one mile of pavement in Michigan, in Michigan that will wirelessly charge electric vehicles as the drivers roll past, marking a first-of-its-kind infrastructure project in the United States. Electrion, based in Beit Yanni, I don't even know where that's at, sorry, it's Israel, no. uh, won the contract with the state to build the charging road system near downtown Detroit, said Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Tuesday. They'll use special coils embedded in the pavement, and they'll send magnetic frequencies to a charging pad underneath the vehicle. Whenever an electric vehicle cruises along the pavement or stops on the road, the battery gets charged. The approach is similar to how wireless charging pads send juice to your cell phone, and the coils do not react or harm gas-powered vehicles, according to Electrion. What do you think about that, Daryl? 
I think back to when I was a kid and my mom wouldn't let us sleep with an electric blanket, like the heating pads, yeah. because she was worried we'd get cancer. Yeah. And that's probably where your head is too, right? Well, and so that, and so what do I do instantly? I look up this technology. <laughs> I think it's like inductive charging or something like yeah, that. It's yeah. waveform charging. You, you send these pulses of electric wave, which can't be – I mean when you think about when you're charging something with a cord versus just casually throwing – waves out, mm, yeah. it's got to be wasteful in some way, right, to broadcast this energy? Yeah, it's not targeted. It's just like blasting yeah. some sort of frequency. So I imagine as a car rolls over, it's probably smart. It probably knows there's a car over it, so maybe it doesn't just, it's just willy-nilly throwing stuff out there. But at the same time, like this doesn't seem like the most efficient thing. The other thing is, would you slow down? Say you were a real nickel, a real cheap guy. Yeah. Would you feel like doing 25 in the 50? Because you're like, I'm going to get all I can out of this thing. Yeah, it says it's charging. It's, it's got the green light. It's going better if I yeah. go slower. Now, it, and obviously, it's only a one-mile stretch. I don't know how much you can expect to charge in one mile. This idea. I don't know. It's, it's different. Now, I did – okay, so everything I read was it's safe, Daryl. But at the same time, I thought to myself, I want to take – because I have one of those charging things, laying the wireless, up, pads. Yeah, wireless pads. I want to plant. I want to have two potters. I have two plants. Okay. And I want to treat the plants equal. I'm going to water them and give them equal sunlight. But I'm going to put one on that pad. And if I see that thing bend even <laughs> sideways, I'm going to be in my head. I'm going to be sure that that thing's been contaminated with this electric radiation or something. I don't know. What What if it takes off? What if it, it's like Miracle Grow? Yeah. And what if you have like uh, what's the plant from Little Shop of Horrors? There you go. Uh, Seymour. Audrey 2 was a plant, yeah. right? Oh, Audrey 2. I'm sorry. Feed me Seymour. Seymour was yeah, the yeah, yeah. plant. Dude. No. So what happens if the plant takes over and gets like some mutation and uh, you come home and he's got a switchblade and a cigarette yeah. and he's got someone held ransom? What if the electric <laughs> frequencies like make bugs like hang out on this road and next thing you know, bats are swooping in there and they all get hit by cars? Then all of a sudden we have an EPA scandal that we're killing some like special bats. Dogs and cats there's living all, together. There's just I mean, this is why we do a one mile stretch just to see what happens, yeah. right? Yeah, this is gonna be shut down. Next quicker. thing you know, a bald eagle swoops down <laughs> to get something and like it's hit by a Tesla truck. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Ro- Reggie Whitmer is not reelected and electric trucks are gone from Detroit. So I think this is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is gonna work out pretty good. Sorry, Electrion. Are they a publicly traded company? I don't know. I don't think. I don't. I mean, it gets back to your like thing about weird EV company names. Yeah, like Nikola and yeah, Tesla. We, and, yeah, we run out of so many things. I mean, let's just take normal words and throw extra extra vowels yeah, in them. Misspell them. Yeah, yeah. Electricity will be electricity e or something like that. Whatever. You know? Yeah. Wandavision. <laughs> it's gonna. This whole thing is just. The amount of extra money it would take, let's say this is one mile. Yeah. I'd love to see the cost-benefit analysis of this. Oh, yeah. Compared to, to like put a, a coil mile. in the road. Yeah. I mean, we can't even keep regular pavement for 10 years around here. So imagine you start putting coils in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it gets a little warmer down. I mean, maybe maybe a little warmer would hold up better because it wouldn't have the freeze-thaw because it's constantly warm. But it's Michigan, which is like the worst yeah. environment on roads. I don't know, dude. We're just we're, – we're, we're moving everything around. I mean, you're taking gasoline emissions – from the tailpipe, but you're definitely piping it out somewhere else. If you're heating the road and you're running coils to the road and you're broadcasting energy through the air to the car. That sounds like someone who's not forward thinking, Eric. I'm sorry. I, no, I, I, God bless him. If it works out, it works out. No, but, it does. It does. But uh, it, we got to start somewhere. And this is news, Daryl. It is. But uh, it's, it's the news of the day. It's going to happen. 
Great, great. This is a better story coming up here. All right. Uh, so this one, headline is Biden backs right to repair movement by uh, ADAPT. Is that a, a trade publication? It's another one of those like weird things I follow. It's all about EVs and stuff like that. Okay, okay. They actually have pretty good articles, though. Check them out. ADAPT. A-D-A-P-T. All right. This posted uh, January 31st. So President Biden has become the first sitting president to give extensive comments that support the right to repair movement, according to Vice, um, which you probably are familiar with Vice, but publications there. Uh, Biden spoke at a cabinet meeting last Monday and acknowledged the anti-competitive practices that electronics manufacturers and others, such as the auto industry, have created in the last decade. Too many areas, if you own a product from a smartphone to a tractor, you don't have the freedom to choose how or where to repair that item that you purchased, Biden said. It's broke. Well, what do I do now if it's broke and you have to go to the dealer and you have to pay the dealer's cost and the dealer's price? If you tried to fix it yourself, some manufacturers actually would void the warranty. Shades of like Tesla, we've kind of followed some of that. Biden's speech comes on the heels of an executive order that he signed in 2021 that helped pave the way for the right to repair legislation in the U.S. The Federal Trade Commission, FTC, then formally adopted the pro-right to repair stance and began to study new enforcement mechanisms. Concerning the auto industry specifically, Massachusetts voters passed legislation in 2020 that would give independent repairers access to more telematic data. That's all the you know coding and everything that runs the cars, computers, things like that. Well, since that vote, legislation has been religiously litigated, and it still remains in litigation without it taking effect. So uh, he put out a positive statement, says, yeah, that's cool. Let's do something. But it seems like there's still some legal challenges. Yeah, there. it's going to be interesting. I mean, you and I talked about this probably two years ago when we talked about John Deere tractors. Yeah. Because guys were buying tractors and that they had a telematics problem and they tried to fix it themselves. They were told, no, you have to buy the John Deere part. For ten times what an independent could do, you know. So uh, it seemed kind of weird at that time, but but as we talked about it, we, and, and you and I, forward thinking as we are, That's right. as much as I hate electric roads, uh, we talked about Tesla because at that time I think Richard Builds was trying to buy a fastener for a battery, mm-hmm. and he couldn't buy just that part. Tesla said, "We will not sell you that part." He's like, "I have a battery here; it's got a broken part. I need the part." Nope, sorry, I won't do it. And that was totally legal for Tesla to do that. And so that's where a lot of this started from. Now, we can look at iPhones. We can look at tractors and, and now cars. And they're going to have to open the books. You, know? you think so? I think so. It, I, I, I think there's going to be some stuff. Like right now, I'll, I'll say, for example, we have an issue with the telematics on one newer model. Okay. And fortunately, the cars are under warranty and we're dealing with them. But heaven forbid – one of these vehicles is seven or eight years old with 200,000 miles on it. And somebody says, I can't get the the SOS button to work on my car. No independent shop without the support of the manufacturer is going to be able to contact the manufacturer and go through the diagnostic because of its communication issue and stuff like that. It's got to be done by the dealer. Yeah. So it, at some point, what is the line? What is this, the feature that, that the manufacturer is allowed to keep to their own proprietary information and what should be allowed is there is there core stuff is there core engine technology that is an individual you should be able to do but exclusive material that only the manufacturer has i mean how much of this is obviously they've got a vested interest like hey come to take your stuff to the dealer get serviced i understand that uh, there's a lot of parts that you can't go into O'Reilly and get for a newer car you have to sorry dealer only part you got to order it through a Ford dealer or Dodge dealer whatever that's always been the case is this to protect software from being hacked by like some third party or uh, let's say 
a lot of times you'll say, oh, the Chinese will reverse engineer stuff. Sure. They'll, they'll crack whatever software and then basically they'll be running Toyota software on something that's not a Toyota. I mean, is that the concern? Is it protecting software? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Or a lot of times, it, you know, we deal with bug fixes all the time. I mean, when when a new iPhone update comes out on, on the iPhone, we're scrambling, you know, for weeks or months to make sure that all of our updates go through on our radios to mm. to, to work with the newest iPhone software. Gotcha. Is that our responsibility or could, should an independent shop be able to get the software flash for that as well? As you as a customer, should you be able to download that software update to make sure your vehicle works? I think we're going to get to also to the point where there is a, a liability that the manufacturer has to the consumer for, what, a, a decade or 15 years? It used to be 10 years, I think. So I, I think we're going to start hitting this this decade wall. Of like aftermarket support? Yeah, of, of no support. Or factories, I'm sorry, yeah, like yeah. Uh, manufacturer support. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to start happening, especially with EVs. And we've talked a lot about EVs, you know, their lifespan and what to expect at the end of their lifespan. Yeah. I think once you get past 10 years on some of these cars, it's going to be, you know, hey, too bad, so sad. We told you to get out of that car. We told you to lease it. If you're still driving that car, why do you have that car? It's like if you have Windows uh, 2000. Yeah. Sorry, we stopped supporting that in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. If it's you want to run it, it's on your, your own yeah. to God support God bless it. you. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, I, but I I do think this is it's productive. We need to have some op- we have to have some openings. The problem with a company like Tesla is they they literally close the door completely. Nobody can access anything unless you go to a Tesla shop, and that's that's yeah. not right. Well, and uh, I've been told too a lot of their stuff they used to source components from Mercedes and from other manufacturers, and now they started basically taking that stuff and manufacturing their things in house. Well, quality's gone down. So you have more issues with things not working. So have you heard about the J.D. Powers thing with them? No, no. Okay. So you know who J.D. Powers is. You know that every every year J.D. Powers does their awards, their initial quality and all that. Yeah. Every manufacturer, every major manufacturer in the world uh, has J.D. Power in-house uh, and they've allowed access to their consumers, to J.D. Powers, to survey their customers on their ownership experience. One manufacturer has not allowed J.D. Powers to do that, Tesla. What's the rationale? They have their own surveys? Or they, don't, no? they don't care what J.D. Powers says. They don't care. So, I mean, there are a lot of people who beef about you know, their initial quality with Teslas. You, you see it online. Uh, you see when they have a repair problem or a backup with, with getting parts, they can't get fenders for six months, you know, or th- this or right. that. Right. But since they don't rank themselves with J.D. Powers, they completely stay out of all those games. So. And they ignore... <laughs> Good chunk of maybe. I, I mean, maybe it's smart. Maybe you know. Again, is that old world thought process? I mean, can they can they avoid consumer reports? Maybe, but that would be like a. I don't know. That seems to be the universal independent ratings agency for the, for so many things: appliances, yeah, vehicles. I, I mean, it would be the equivalent of. Well, you can't do that though. How can they get away with that when places like. I don't know. Your local Chili's, <laughs> you know, you've got Yelp, you've got Google reviews, you've got TripAdvisor, you've got all these other yeah. platforms where people can say, like, air their dirty laundry or say, I had the best, you know, Cadillac fajitas in my life at Chili's in uh, Arlington Heights. Like, where do other consumers get to kind of air their grievances with Tesla? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, there's a guy who blew up his car in Finland. He was so happy with his battery right. diagnostics. So. Right. Yeah, that the court of rounds. public opinion. Yeah, it's that, just weird. You know what? That should have been Twism. It should. What were we thinking? I don't know. <laughs>
I just I don't like videos of destruction. No. Okay. Especially where it's an old Volvo or something like that. Right. All I right. followed Neutral Drop for a little bit, and then they destroyed an old Cadillac, like a 1989 <laughs> uh, Sedan DeVille. It was really nice. Oh. And I cried. <laughs> Almost. All right. So uh, we talked about it earlier in the show here. Rev Illinois. Are you familiar with this, Daryl? I am not. All right. Pritzker announced the Rev Illinois program. Companies with plans to invest in new or existing manufacturing facilities and production of EV or EV component parts or power supply equipment have a certain opportunity to qualify for exemptions on tax withholdings, utilities, training, and equipment rental, uh, according to Governor Pritzker. And both him and the General Assembly passed the Reimagining Electric Vehicles in Illinois Act into law. It's a groundbreaking program designed to bolster Illinois' manufacturing. It's already a top destination for electric vehicle manufacturing in the United States, Daryl. Were you aware of that? I, I, I wasn't, but that's and, cool. And to grow the ecosystem to create new capacity for EV vehicles and component parts in production. This will also support the state's bold climate change agenda, including putting 1 million EVs on the road by 2030. Yikes. Pretty exciting stuff. Rev Illinois. How about that? So besides – yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, besides Rivian, what other EVs are we doing here? Well, so – I think one of the things they talked about, and similar to when Diamond Star or uh, everybody was over there in Bloomington, if you have the company building vehicles there, there will be surrounding companies, the ancillary properties. Like there was a windshield manufacturer. There's an interior manufacturer, like satellite. Morton Metalcraft. Yeah, and, right yeah. around them that are like you know adding extra components there without having to be part of the company. So you know the thought process that – process, I believe, is if Rivian's building electric cars there, somebody else will say, oh, Rivian's building electric cars, and then maybe there's somebody else doing some battery tech around there. Well, we should build a factory in Illinois as well, right? That's fair. So I don't know what is involved with this, but it sounds like they're aggressively trying to capture this market. You know what? It's early. You know, Detroit's trying to bring it back to Detroit with EVs, and Biden's trying really hard to do that. So, yeah. so who knows? Yeah, if you look at all the manufacturing that Illinois has lost in the last 30, 40 years, it's it's pretty impressive. And by impressive, I mean sad. So anything we can do to kind of put people back to work or maybe bring some of those skilled jobs. Because people that are designing, engineering, building you know battery packs for uh, EVs, they're not – it's not like entry-level jobs. These are pretty specialized. Even, oh, yeah. And skilled manufacturing. It's not just like – I'm trying to think. It's not putting like hot dogs in a wrapper and, and sending them out to, to Oscar <laughs> Mayer. It's it's actually um, – there's a fair amount of skill that comes with this stuff. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. And if it's something we can do to put people to work or expand old factories or old workforces in areas that uh, have been hit hard by – As long as it works. Yeah, yeah. I, I so do. what's the factory up north where they build the Jeeps? It's up by your old hometown. Yeah, Belvedere. Is it still open making Jeeps? It is. They okay. make the Compass or um, – not what the Compass – the Cherokee, okay, whatever that's called now, uh, the smaller SUV. So they, I could see where that might be an opportunity later on if they decide, you know, Illinois is super friendly and they're going to give tax incentives to build EVs there. They may just say, hey, instead of building them in Toledo, maybe we'll build them in Illinois, right? Yeah, I I would love to see something like that. Um, you know, it's it's part of what the Midwest was known for was building stuff. We had factories all over Indiana, Ohio, Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Missouri, you know, let's see it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what? I don't know. I, you know, we, I, I'm going to go back to what I used to do on this show. I'm going to go back to like a giant gas motor. Look, this is the biggest gas motor ever built. It's news. 600 cubic inches. Yeah. It just gets boring though. Like, it, 
Is there something about that though? It's not. It's just not exciting. That's not to say it's. We not should cool. be super excited about anything where they're trying trying to invigorate Illinois. I, and I'm I'm not going to go my political stance here, but I always say, you know, we shouldn't live in a community and diss on all the time. We should always be trying to like promote our community, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I I shouldn't want my kids to leave here to have a better life. It's not so bad here. I've 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 been around a few places, Daryl, so I know there's a lot worse places in here. Yeah. So I I don't know. I just think sometimes we you get jaded by the fact when you got politicians doing all this, you know pontificating about how great, you know, this is going to be and we're going to do this, but nothing's really happened yet. And Rivian's built 1,200 vehicles. And it's like, all right, well, proof will be in the pudding when I start seeing a million of these things driving around. So, Right, right. And you see things too like batteries and and all this, all the ancillary suppliers, maybe maybe it's going to come more um, – what am I trying to say? Come back to the States. Yeah. So much of this stuff, so much of technology, well, heck, it's cheap to make it overseas. Sure, sure. Samsung's going to build batteries. Panasonic's going to build batteries. They're going to ship them over on a boat. Yeah. Why should our American hands get dirty? Well, but in the last two years, you've seen we found out how that ha- supply out, right? chain, ship, uh, chip shortages, yeah. <laughs> shipping container shortages. <laughs> and ship shortages, yeah. All kinds of this stuff. Well, that's because everybody's building their bug out places in those containers. That's what happens. <laughs> They're making hipster coffee shops. <laughs> Like <laughs> there's one up there in Elmwood or something. No, uh, Hannah City. Hannah City. Yeah, I need to stop there for a coffee. Maybe we should do a podcast up there. It's actually a really cool place. All right, you ready for this? Yeah, let's do. Is it that right. time? It is. All right, hold your ears. We got a hearing impairment. It's time for your moment of muscle. You're tracking you, Elon. A teen rejected a five thousand dollar offer from Elon Musk. It's a billionaire reportedly blocked the college student who declined to take down a Twitter bot that uh, kept track of his flights. A 19-year-old Florida University student and aviation enthusiast said he rejected a $5,000 offer from Elon Musk to shut down at Elon Jet. It's a Twitter bot designed that and tracks the comings and goings of the Tesla and SpaceX CEO's private jet. In an interview Monday with Jack Sweeney, the University of Central Illinois freshman reported that Musk blocked him after he declined a buyout offer, but not before the two had a month-long dialogue. He first reached out to Sweeney on November 30th. According to screenshots of Twitter messages left by NBC News, he said, I do not love the idea of being shot by a nutcase. Sweeney later asked Musk to up his $5,000 offer to $50,000 about the cost of a Tesla Model 3, which Musk considered for over a month before Sweeney said he would also consider removing the account for an internship. Then, sometime after January 23rd, Musk blocked him. Sweeney said that he was interested in aviation and everything Elon and Tesla for years before Musk reached out to him. He just ends up like messaging me like one night at 1 a.m., Sweeney said, adding that Musk first said the bot was a security risk but provided no evidence. Sweeney said he believed Musk a little bit about the security risk, but he felt because of the security team, any concern was just a worry. And that is your moment of Musk. So you can track private jets. You can track yeah, because all you need to know is the uh, the digits the on tail the back. Of, yeah, as long as you know the tail number, you can watch any plane in the world. Yeah, you can find flight records. I yeah. mean, it's it's there, kind of a there's hobby. websites where you can just watch planes all day long if that's your thing. It's kind of like train watching, but yeah. on your computer. And also maybe a little weirder. Yeah, maybe. Is it weirder? Is it any? Everybody's got to have a hobby. But I could see where he when. Again, we talked about – did I talk about this on a pre-show or a regular show? I mean, Elon's to the point where he has so much wealth 
you know, somebody may decide it's time to take Elon out, and all it takes is one, you yeah. know, rocket powered grenade. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a legit security issue there. Yeah. But at the same time, it's using publicly available technology and records and all that fun stuff. Who would have thought? But who would take the time to put that on a, a Twitter profile? It's not the, I mean, it's a bot. So as long as you set up the algorithm, just to every time, every time the aviation website logs a flight, it's like it Elon sends, Musk it, is here. It sends a Twitter you know post. It says this, this plane just took off with, and and you probably have to file your flight flight plan. So the plane left Pasadena. To head going, for Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to Belarus. Why would anybody do that, though? Like, what benefit? Because he's a celebrity. I mean, th- and this comes back to the leech culture, the TMZ culture. Yeah. You, you, aren't, you aren't building any value off yourself. You're literally living off the value of, that somebody else presents. It's a little icky. And using it to your own gain, yeah. He's not monetizing. Well, he's trying to monetize it. He prob- if, if you get so many subscribers, I think Twitter's going to monetize you anyway, right? Should he have taken the $5,000? No, I don't think so. That's cheap. That's but the problem is with this. He's exposed the technology, so why couldn't there be 100 Twitter bots now doing the exact same thing? Bill Gates is going to have one. You know, uh, Richard mm. Branson will have one. Who, who, you, you could do, I mean, you could literally file anyone for any plane, right? Pete Davidson's plane. Oh, yeah, or his ferry. Or his, he, did, he bought a Staten Island I, ferry. Yes, I know. That's, that's weird to me. Yeah, him and the Black Widow's wife. Or her husband, uh, uh, Colin Jost. Colin Jost, yeah, and a third person. Oh, they didn't. They didn't name Michael Shea. It might be. <laughs> it might be. I don't know. I think that's weird. I I think five thousand dollars is an insult, though. I would have taken if he asked for fifty or a Tesla Model Three. Dude, get what color? I'll send one. Yeah, to your what's house. he care? What does he care? He's a billionaire. Yeah, or he could have said, "I'll give you one Bitcoin." Give him fifty thousand. Yeah, or the Model Three, and then make him sign the most airtight contract yeah. ever yeah. and then take him to court if he breaks it or the internship hey float this you know what this kid's pretty smart yeah you know interview him run him, you know bring him bring him to the factory give him a tour but but i've heard he's terrible to face to face you would never talk to elon shake hands and have a conversation i've heard he's just Probably a, not. a horrible human being so Probably not. that wouldn't work out but but people uh, that's how some of the most bright the brightest innovators in you know, innovators innovators of yeah that's a new that's word. a that's a that's an npr thing you used to do right you were you were an innovator right Inter- yeah right <laughs> no i was a bad interviewer is what i was <laughs> i would say uh, as a ferruccio lamborghini whoever the lamborghini guy is he started his own car company because he bought a Ferrari and he hated it. And he went to Enzo Ferrari. He was like, I don't like this thing I just paid a lot of money for. And he's, he just laughed at him. He laughed at him. He's like, okay, I'm going to build a better car. He's like, good luck or whatever they say in Italian for good luck. Yeah. Want to swear Buongiorno. Or, yeah, something. <laughs> and so he said, okay, fine. And he did. And he made the Lamborghini. So there is something – for somebody who wants to like challenge or like punch somebody in the nose like and just kind of – teach him a lesson, there's something valuable there. And I think you're right. Maybe the internship would have been a much better offer. Get him to work for you. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But like I said, I think – I mean this kid's just been advertised. Who's to say you could make a Twitter bot, a million of these Twitter bots? And at what point then does Twitter be like, eh, we probably shouldn't do this security risk? And they then, shut down things for a lot less. I'll tell I, you that. Yeah, right. They shut down accounts for not even close to what this dude's doing. I don't know. It's a no-win. It's a no-win situation, Daryl. But you know what is a win situation? What's that? It's when we do Cars of the Week. Cars of the Week. You Okay, so I this week will tell you 
Daryl, I took the computer. Yeah. I looked at a car. I don't remember if it was on my phone or on my computer, but I looked at it and I said, oh, my wife has to see this. Because the deal that I have found is so good, and it's such a vehicle that I think my wife would actually go for. It's worthy. Now, I scoured I scoured the websites just for fun, you know, sometimes trying to find a camper that I could marry on to my old 96 Tacoma outside, thinking, you know what? What if this fiberglass shell works out in there? I could make the perfect Frankenstein truck. That's not very practical. What if I find this, uh, this old Volkswagen van? Ooh, that might be really cool. My wife might go for that. We go camping. We do something like that. But we do, and Daryl does it too, and I know you, dear listener, do the exact same thing. You get on Bring a Trailer, you get on Facebook Marketplace, you get on Craigslist sometimes, which I'm guilty of even doing recently. Car Gurus, been there. Bring a Trailer, love that site too. And then we dream about owning these cars, and we live the whole lifestyle in the car. And then we even think, if we owned it for three or four years, could we flip that car and still be okay? We've literally owned a car and owned it for years, and we've sold it, and we've never even owned it for more than... <laughs> It's all in our heads. <laughs> exactly. It's all imagination. That's Cars of the Week. Daryl, what magic have you brought to Cars of the Week this week? Well, this one was just kind of a weird one, and I found it by accident while searching for another old station wagon on Car Gurus, which uh, is one of the best sites ever, by the <laughs> yes, way. Yes, because you can search anything. It doesn't yeah. matter. It could be the weirdest brand. New, uh, used, it doesn't matter. They've got it there, including a 1990 Olds Custom Cruiser station wagon. That's the giant, uh, the big like Delta 88 size wagon. Uh, and they found this at a dealership in Tennessee that specializes in some really cool old, mostly trucks, nice old Ford trucks and whatnot. But they had this thing sitting there. It's a, a light sapphire, kind of a Robin's eggy metallic blue with that oak, honey oak looking uh, wood applique. Vinyl applique. Yeah. It, it's, it's the classic woody wagon uh, that we all grew up with. 78,000 mile original car. It's from Tennessee, so it doesn't have any rust on it. And uh, it's the final year, 1990. It's the box style. Everybody kind of knows what I'm talking about. Um, it Basically, from 77 on, GM cars look like this, the big full-size box Caprices, um, Buick uh, Electra, stuff like that. So they actually ran that all the way up to 1990 before they turned into the big jelly bean style Caprices. Yeah. And it's funny because this was also the last carbureted V8 that GM put in a passenger car. Oh, really? So these didn't get fuel injection. Trucks and all that started doing them, I think, in 85 or 86. What's the log- logic on that? I think they just didn't want to retool. Okay. And there was still a demographic out there that like wanted – they were not embracing the minivan. So by 1990, the Caravan, the Voyager, the Aerostar, the Astro – They were radical. I mean the Chrysler vans compared to this were a whole different thing. So you had those old-timers that were like, nope, I'm getting another station wagon. I don't want anything to do with that. GM, GM held the, the cards on the station wagon to the bitter end. They really did. And I think they even outlasted the uh, uh, the LTDs, Crown Victoria, stuff like that. I think Ford dropped out in like 989 or something. So these guys ran – it's an old 307 V8, not a powerhouse, 140 horse, a wheezy quadrajet with a uh, the little feedback carburetor on there. It's, it's kind of a dog. But <laughs> – Beautiful car. This one has the rally wheels, the big alloys on it. It's got the cornering lamps, all the, the extra stainless, the rocker trim, the, the the beautiful stainless roof rack. Yes. God, this thing is beautiful. Hood yeah. ornament even. Do you know how much they want for it? Oh, I didn't see it. The, oh, my God. The asking price for this bad boy, something we could have bought for, I don't know, four or five grand five years ago. Yes. 19995 And they'll get it, folks. They will get it because wagons, much like trucks and early SUVs, are absolute crazy prices right now. 
But I love it enough to, if I had virtually this much money, I'd totally pay the asking price and I'd drive it home with the air conditioning on going 75 down the freeway. And I would love it every minute of it. So, so I have a story about a car like this because I, yeah. I fell in love with it one of these one time. It's, hey, everybody, it's story time with Eric. Love so it. back in the 90s when I was a car salesman, I traded for one of these in, in a yellow color, wood walls ooh, and everything. Ooh. And the car was glorious. It was beautiful. It was in great shape. And the guy, I don't remember what he traded in for, but we put it on the back row and I, I stocked it in. I gave it to the sales manager and I, I said, what are we going to do with that? He goes, I'm going to take that to the sale. Nobody wants to buy that thing. And to be fair, that car looked like a dinosaur, and it didn't fit on a Toyota lot. And I understood his logic, but sure. I I parked on the hill. I remember the fabric was like brand new in the inside. I'm like this car is nice. I said, Rich, put it on the lot, put it on the point, so uh, buy it. where the Auto Smart store is at, mm-hmm. uh, right there on the point, right there at Main Street, North Peak, and Caddy Corner from McDonald's. Yeah, we put that out there, and I'll be honest with you. I walked every customer past it. I remember – so eventually – Just to like, kind of show it off. Oh, yeah. The third or fourth day, guy came in looking for a Corolla. And we had a Corolla for like eighty nine ninety five, but we were selling this thing for forty nine ninety five. I'm like, why would you want a Corolla when you get this? Get power windows, power so, seats. So I slammed this guy in this car. He bought it. He was from Lincoln, older guy. He was like, you know what? This is a nice car. I'm going to buy this. No kidding. It was almost like Jack and the Beanstalk when Jack comes back with the beans. Because when the guy got home, <laughs> I got a call, oh. like literally five minutes later, like, uh, yeah, my wife says, I don't, she doesn't like this car. I can't have it. Well, then it turned into a whole hairy situation. Of course, you know, Rich is like, uh, no, we sold the car. There's no, it, back then. There's no takes these back, back then. Back then, it wasn't like it is today. Yeah. Where it's like, you have three-day guarantee, 1,200 miles. You know, we, we promise you'll be satisfied. Back then, it was like, you bought it. You you did the two twenty nine warranty you got over there, yep. and so it turned into like one of the worst situations I ever had with a customer. So we ended up having the guy come back, and we gave him the value of that car versus any other car. But he was basically trapped into buying a car from me, and I felt bad. How was he trapped though? Well, the test drive sold him. He's probably like, "This is the smoothest, <laughs> most comfortable it. car." He loved it. <laughs> and he got home, and his wife's like, "I don't like it." Well, yeah, she oh. should have been there. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But I'll never forget that car. And then we end up taking the auction. I felt so bad. I'm like, oh. My dad almost did the same thing. He he would occasionally go to the Chevy Olds dealer and bring home something and be like, what do you guys think? For He'd bring something home for the weekend and it always got shot down. Mm-hmm. And one weekend he brought home uh, an Olds wagon. like It was a darker blue with the wood on the sides, the, the rear-facing seat. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, my brothers and I were like, oh, this is great. And my mom was having none of it. Wouldn't ride in it. Wouldn't go. He's like, you want to go run to the Ben Franklin or run some? He was trying to come up with some any reason to take it out, right? Yeah. She's like, no, no, I don't. Had wire wheels I with the white wheels. I see your mom. Your mom's this little little petite demure yeah. woman. You know, it's just like I'm not sitting in that. It was the. It was. I don't want a station wagon with wood on it. Yeah, that is like the equivalent today of like I'm not driving a minivan. It was like my mom. She wouldn't get a minivan, but we got that Astro where it had the sport package and the running boards and the roof rack. You know, it was the short yeah. body Astro. She was okay with owning a minivan look like that. It was the only minivan my parents ever owned in my whole existence. It's so funny, though. Was that Astro? So funny because now we see these things, or even a nice minivan. You're like, it's not bad. It's kind of a cool car. But, dude, 19 grand, 20 grand for that? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Okay, so what did you pick? Because it, I'll be honest with you, this looks like one, I think. Did you pick one before? I did. I did. And you got so, a thing for okay. Westies. No, so this is a problem. But but this is a true, honest experience. I didn't I didn't go out looking for something weird. Okay. 
This is actually a vehicle that I held my phone up to my wife and said, look at this. This is a great price. What do you think? Because you just never know, right, Daryl? Sometimes you're just like, they might take, it's like, it's like throwing, you, 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 you set the bait up on the hook and you're like, all right, I'm going to just cast it to the right spot. I'm going to try the right time. You know, it wasn't totally strategic, but I knew if I put it on the right picture and I'd be like, hey, what do you think? Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, I'd just like catch it and I'd like yank back and be like, yeah, we got it. But it didn't you're happen. saying there's a chance. <laughs> Anyway, you're right. Earlier on in the show, it, probably 30 or 40 episodes ago, I picked a Volkswagen Vanagon Westphalia edition, Westphalia edition. And look at this, Daryl. In Elmwood, Illinois, there's a 1984. Oh, yeah. It's close. Yeah, it's close. And this car is up for sale. So you know what? It's my car of the week. It's 198,000 miles. It's a manual transmission. Got that brown interior and got a diesel engine. I can't beat that. Um Here's a little bit of description on the Facebook Marketplace ad. It's an 84. It has the 1.6-liter turbo diesel engine. Still needs some work, but not much. It runs good. It fires up right away. It does not shift correctly. Hmm. The van was converted from gas to diesel. <laughs> it needs a few minor things to be perfect, like bleeding the clutch. That sounds suspicious, as well as figuring out why the instrument cluster lights and fuel gauge aren't working. I can handle that. Uh, it could be something, I don't know here, but it has brand new tires, has an oil pan, turbo, oil pump, coolant tanks, and a timing belt. It's pretty slick from the sounds of it. Unfortunately, Daryl, my wife, she didn't see the value in this one, so uh, no, I, I, will not, I will not be buying it. $12,000, this van, I think when we did a previous show, was probably about $8,000. It hasn't gone up that much. I will say this. These vans were going for a premium dollar two or three years ago, and Definitely I don't were. think the market has risen that much. Unlike the Corsica hatchbacks and the, uh, <laughs> and the Caprice wagons right. you're digging up that have gone up 3,000% in the last two years, uh, the Westphala editions have kind of held steady. Well, this one looks super clean. Uh, these things were known, just like any other v- VW that era, to rust yeah. here, and this thing looks like it was probably from like Arizona or well, it's Colorado. Probably painted. I have to imagine that's a second coat of paint. I do see some streaking under the mirrors. So it makes me think, you know, it does it has some honest patina on it, but you have to wonder that paint color is so bright. Uh, the Westphala edition, if anybody doesn't know, came with like the camper top that popped up, gave you the tent. Super and, cool. And you had the drapes around the back because you could make a second bed downstairs and had a sink. It had a little but, kitchenette, right? Yes, yeah. a little kitchenette. And, yeah. and for small people like myself, we could probably get around a little bit. I can't imagine you trying to figure out a way to like cook eggs in the morning in this I thing. <laughs> I wouldn't be scrambling eggs and bakey. I'll just say that. But they're super neat, super neat rides, and uh, I'm curious mechanically what's been done to it because it, it says it was converted to a diesel, and I'm wondering if they converted a newer. So you TDI. wonder if they do like a JDM type thing? If they, uh, you know, is there a German equivalent to a JDM where they there's German motors that people slap in these who are available overseas? This is the difficulty I have with German cars, and why I swore I'd never own another German car. I don't know the lingo. I don't know the nature of these things. You know, I know if I got a, a Toyota van. I know what I'm dealing with. I, I know the crowd and the places to buy stuff. Once I get into situation with these things, yeah. I get totally frustrated. I call the, the you call the the uh, the German car dealer in the area, and you say they go, "What's your VIN?" Of course, the VIN doesn't matter because it's got a diesel motor in it. And then you call Cawthon Mayer. Like I don't want nothing to do with that. <laughs> this is yeah. a Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, so you're pretty much on your own, and if you're not handy. This is a tough situation. Anybody who does modifications on a car, and this is why this guy's in a situation with this thing, if you can't build it yourself or fix it yourself, 
you're up the river without a paddle. That's true. Yeah. It's true. There, There is something to be said for that ingenuity if you are uh, techie and, and savvy. More power to you. If you can get this thing to, to, to run on a newer TDI diesel out of like a Golf or something, yeah. that thing would be awesome. You could go anywhere, you know, 50 miles per gallon. You get the turbo power. So these things were notoriously underpowered from the beginning. And it would overheat. Right. So, I mean, that might be fun. But like you said, you're on your own, and uh, if if you don't have deep pockets or a whole lot of time to mess with this stuff, yeah, that gets dicey. I see a lot of Subaru's motors get swapped in these too. Yeah, and that would be okay because Subaru parts are probably readily available. This is you know when guys talk about doing like Land Cruisers, they want like, oh, I'm going to get a BJ71 and we're going to you know do this and that. I'm like that's fine, but the problem is just like when I was driving to California a couple of years ago with the 2017 Forerunner. And the oil pressure center started leaking. Mm, yeah, I could get a part at O'Reilly, you know, twenty miles down the road, and I could get yeah. it fixed. If I'm in a diesel truck that's that's on the twenty five year limit, you know, because it's from out of country, parts aren't readily available. Do you want to ruin your vacation for a week because you chose to drove an antique vehicle that was from out of the country? I, I don't know. You have to have a certain temperament. You obviously have to be retired and have all the time in the world in order to yeah. take these cars. Otherwise, they just become you know garage queens, and you roll them out every once in a while, and and you, the dream turns into a nightmare if you're trapped on the road somewhere with it. Wise words. It's it's almost like you've you've been there. I I'm psychic. I've seen some stuff. <laughs> That's cool though. All right. Neat rig, neat rig, and twelve grand. For I think a it's solid... I think it's a good deal. I, I don't know. I, I like it. It'd be fun. Uh, unfortunately, because. Because of his suspicious bleeding the clutch line, uh, yeah, it leads me to believe there's probably some master slave cylinder. Pro- who knows what's going on inside there? I'd find a, a nice running rusted out one and put the stock motor back in that it. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> All right. Hey, and with that, you have reached the end of another Throwing, in- throwing Wrenches episode. <laughs> We've had a ton of fun. We hope you have too. And if you have, maybe, just maybe, you'll give us a review. We got two. I mean, here's what we'll do. We'll not do another episode until we get a review. So if that's two months, you'll wait two months. Or if it's two days, it'll be two days. Give us a review for friggin' sake. <laughs> we got two. We're very happy, despite what Eric says. He's I sound holding, bitter. He's holding us hostage. Now, we'll do a show, but uh, love to hear from you. Give us your thoughts. And there's future show suggestions or people you want to know. We do have some um, shows in the hopper. We have a couple ideas here for the next couple of months. I've got would... some serious peer pressure to go after the uh, Mustang Man again. we got to reinitialize that, too. So, yep, yep. And we got some mobile recording equipment. We've got some fun stuff coming up, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe we'll put it in your van again, Westphalia Camper, and hit the road. And break down. All right. <laughs> for throwing wrenches. This is Eric Stahl. I'm Daryl Scott. See you next time.